Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Delighted to be joined by Nigel Travis, author of The Challenge Culture, chairman and co-owner of mine and his beloved Leighton Orient Football Club, chairman at Duncan Brands and Fudo, and also on the board at Abercrombie & Fitch and Advanced Auto Parts. Good morning, Nigel. Hey, good morning, Simon. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Strange times we find ourselves in. It's a Saturday and there's no football. Good to be talking to you. Fortunately, I don't think there's going to be football for some time either. So, uh, having to watch uh, movies, uh, so that's that, that's a big change from what I do normally. Yeah, join the club. I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that as part of the podcast. So, it'd be good if you could give a quick intro of your business background and, and what you do in the world at the moment. I'm 70. I started working about 50 years ago. I'd, I'd taken a degree in business. But I also, and I think this is relevant to our subject today, did a one-year program at one of our local colleges, Waltham Forest, mm-hmm. uh, in as it was called in the day, work study. So productivity has always been one of the things I've thought about as I've uh, gone through my career. I started in human resources for 20 years, and then in 1991, I moved into general management when I was with Burger King. Uh, I moved back from the States at that time to the UK. And then uh, in my then seven years back in the UK, I moved from Burger King to Blockbuster, where I spent 10 years. I ended up at Blockbuster as the president of COO. And then four years as CEO of Papa John's. And then 10 years of CEO of Dunkin' Brands, which is Dunkin' Donuts and Baskin Robbins. Now, Dunkin' Donuts is rebranded just as Dunkin'. But all the way through for uh, now 24 years, I've been on boards of various companies like the ones you mentioned. Plenty of experience at different organizations at different levels. Some of those roles have been for global companies. Operating model and productivity is key to the kind of stuff we do. How do you consider that amongst all the other things that factor into your life and and business in those organizations because there's like you say human resources sales property there's a whole plethora of things that you have to consider i always start at the top and you know for someone who's written a book called the challenge culture i think how you manage an organization and set up the culture i think is very important when i wrote the book probably one thing i failed to emphasize enough is It isn't just about having a challenged culture. It's about having a clear culture that's most important. And I think as I've gone through my career, that's more and more important because it sets up the organization for success. I mean, a culture should be a living, breathing aspect of the organization. It's something that you should live every day. And I think in these strange times, as you said right at the start, it's probably more important than ever. I was talking to someone yesterday about how the players are reacting at Leighton Orient uh, as a result of the culture. And I said, I think they're doing really well. And I think one of the reasons is that we can, we involve them day in, day out, obviously done by Martin Ling, director of football, and Ross Embleton, who's their head coach. But every two weeks, we have a meeting, which I chair. I talk to them. They're not separated from the rest of the staff. They're encouraged to know about what goes on in the organization. They're encouraged to hear the financial details. They're encouraged to send their ideas. And here's a really interesting thing. At the last meeting last week, we asked for ideas for improving our revenues and three players sent in ideas, which 
surprised the person I was talking to yesterday, <laughs> and and may I go, go go against the grain of what many people think footballers are like. The reason for saying all that is not to emphasise our beloved club, but if you start with the right culture, I mean, I talk in my book about the challenge culture, which is a form of culture. It's it's one that's worked for me. But I think you have to start from the basis that if you have the organization set up right, all kinds of success will come. You will you will get the best financial results. You'll get the best productivity. But it all starts in the way you you manage people. Lots of organizations we work with, sometimes the answers are within, but the culture doesn't allow them to express those or, or because they're from within. In the times we've got at the moment, we're seeing lots of innovation. So things that would have taken three, four, five, six months, years, even being thrown up in days. So websites, click and collect, deliveries, all that kind of online stuff. How do you see that when we return back to whatever normal is in terms of still being agile. For me, it comes back to culture of the naysayers, the things that get in the way have been taken out of the way. Therefore, they've been able to do it. That's a great question. And I've got many things to say about that. The first <laughs> thing I'd say is that going back to your earlier comment in that question, one of the things that's so important to me is, is to take all those barriers away. I mean, Again, at Leighton Orient, everyone's encouraged to call me Nigel. I hate being called the chairman. Uh, and the reason for that is I try and make the organization anti-hierarchy. Kent Teague, my partner, uh, vice chairman at the club, he's very much the same. He's a master, as most fans will know, of walking around. I mean, everyone knows Kent. Everyone's met Kent. And I think that's good. Because I think by encouraging people to express themselves... You, you get the best ideas, and from the best ideas, even if you don't utilize those ideas, people feel good, and they're encouraged to come forward with other ideas. But I think in these strange times, as you say, innovation is amazing. I mean, give you a couple of examples. I mean, I'm on the board, as you said, of Advanced Auto Parts, which most of your listeners won't know. But amazingly, we've got 7,300 stores across the US and Canada. And we may have been a bit slow introducing our app our app for consumers we essentially have two businesses there's the professional one where we sell parts to car repair shops i'm trying to do all this in english um, <laughs> not american and we then have a diy business and we didn't have an app which i on the board was fairly critical of well it was supposed to come at the end of q1 a q2 it got delivered at the end of q1 yeah and then we also identified that because people were stuck at home, delivering to them so they could work on their cars was very important. And in two weeks, two weeks, that's all. I say we, the, uh, the management <laughs> put together a same-day delivery program, which has been already incredibly successful about five weeks in. So I, I, I think get rid of the barriers, encourage people to be positive, get pe encourage people to try things, and you'll be shocked what you can do, I think is the message. Is that about losing the fear of failure? Oh, yeah. I, I, it's interesting. I'm doing a speech which got delayed because of the crisis for a company that works in materials. And the CEO and I talked about it a lot. And, and you have to encourage people to try things. And I think, again, the crisis is a great demonstration. I mean, we all want a vaccine. We want this thing over and done with. 
So I think you're seeing around the world that a lot of the bureaucracy, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but the bureaucracy around drugs being removed and, and people trying things and, and working. And here's another key, working together. I mean, you've got Google and Apple working yeah. together on apps so that people could be tracked in the, uh, in, in the U.S., all kinds of stuff going on. So I think the fear of failure is, is, is a big thing. And again, coming back to Leighton Orient, one of the things we encourage people to do is to try new ideas. If it fails, well, you know, get, dust yourself down and get on with it. I mean, but sometimes from failure, great ideas arise. I think it's interesting if you look at what happens in Amazon, and I know some people have got different views on Amazon, but, you know, and I've never worked there. I have met Jeff Bezos, but I've never worked at Amazon. And I think the way they work it, from what I've heard from several people, is if you have a great idea, you take the idea to a meeting, you write it in a Word document, about two pages, and then you hand it out, actually hand it out at the meeting, and everyone has to sit there for five, ten minutes reading it, and then you discuss the idea. I'd imagine that's a form of what I call the challenge culture. Yeah. But, but what it tells me is ideas are accepted and, and, and willing, are willing to be put forward. And I think we've seen in Amazon's times lots of things that they've tried. They've started and then it perhaps hasn't worked out. As far as I know, people didn't get fired as a result of it. Really important, and you, you see that in the successful companies, that ability to challenge upwards, so, the flatter structures. So when you and I had a pre-meeting this week, you told me about a robotic vacuum cleaner, right? I did, indeed. Yeah, so Danny, who runs Slayton Orion, is CEO, and I talked about it yesterday. And we said, after the lockdown has been cleared, we're going to have we think a pretty huge demand for birthday parties, uh, weddings and funerals is going to be a backlog. And the advantage we've got is that we can do social distancing because our function rooms are very big. Uh -huh. And, and I was telling him about this, the vacuum cleaner, vacuum cleaner. If we're going to have to clean things quickly, this is a way of saving some cleaning hours. So we're now investigating that. So thanks for the idea. In terms of dunking brands, what was your biggest efficiency consideration? Because clearly, amazing brand, well-known throughout the world, lots of outlet sites. So different types of leaderships, different challenges, I assume, across different geographies. I, I would say it was several things. But the biggest thing comes back to what we're talking about. When I went to Duncan, which was in the middle of the Great Recession of 2008-2009, I joined on the 6th of January 2009, so smack in the middle, and the franchise franchisees were considered to be some of the most difficult in the industry. Today, and we had our earnings this week, and I'm obviously not in day-to-day, -day, I'm the chairman, um, the whole earnings was about the relationship we have with our franchisees, which I would say is probably industry leading. And that's a credit to the current management team led by Dave Hoffman, who was my successor. But what we did was we involved the franchisees from day one. And it's amazing what we got done, because even though you may not define it as productivity, together we achieved a phenomenal amount. 
And I think if I think about that, those words, achieving a phenomenal amount is a form of measuring productivity. We, we change the nature of the restaurants. We change the nature of what we sell. The franchisees, and this is very well documented in my book, franchisees hated the idea of selling packaged coffee in our stores. We worked at it. I actually had 17 meetings with the, with the uh, franchise leader, Clayton Turnbull, and we got, we got through it and we got it done. The nature of all that was the relationship we built. So when you talk about productivity, I think that sounds a hard term. Mm -hmm. It's all about the soft skills you need to get there. You need to listen to people. You need to persuade people. You need to change your ideas a bit. And in the end, after, I think it was 16 months of debate, occasionally an argument, we got there. So I think that was a huge productivity proposal. I think we also got our franchisees to understand that the future of the world was digital. You have to recognize that when I went to Dunkin', that we used to get comp sales, or I think in the UK, most people call it like for like sales, once yeah. a week. I mean, only once a week on a Tuesday. And everyone who's, I always remember this when I first got there, everyone used to wait on a Tuesday morning, great tension, and then bing, the numbers came up. And usually they were bad. But uh, so, <coughs> so we changed that. We get them obviously every day. But we got the franchisees totally focused on looking at comps. And, and right now, and we released earnings this week, so I can t tell you about that. We're in the kind of like minus 30 range because of the crisis, which uh -huh. is actually very good for the industry right now. But we got everyone to working together and, and thinking about that. So I, I think it went back to how you handle people, the relationships you build up. And, and, and I think another interesting thing is, and, and I'm seeing this right now, we're at Leighton Orient, like every football club, we're talking about the future of football. We're talking about things like salary caps, pay cuts, unfortunately, because, you know, we've got to get through the crisis. Uh, and we've got the Professional Footballers Association and we've got the owners. And there's a gap. One of the things I say very strongly in the book is you need to recognize there is a gap and, and build understanding on both sides. And Rick Parry, who is the EFL chairman, is doing a spectacular job. And one of the things he's done this week, I think this is brilliant because we did it with our packaged coffee idea at Duncan, is we, we gave money to the franchisees and said, go and get your own consultancy and study the subject and, and see what they say. Well, that's what we've now done with the Professional Footballers Association. They're bringing in Deloitte to study football club finance and help them understand what they should do to share in the pain. Excellent. Be interesting to see the the result the results of that. I think one of the bits I liked in the book was the early part. I think it was when you were just arriving at Papa John's Pizzas, and the whole advert in the middle of the Apprentice that scuppered Domino's. That seemed to be kind of a pivotal bit, a bit like the bit you talked around in terms of Dunkin' Brands of getting those franchisees on board and really taking people on a journey. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got the Papa John's and. Probably the story is not as well known in the UK as it is in the US, but John Schneider founded a great company focused on better ingredients, better pizza, built up a terrific company. I went there because he had a bad relationship with the franchisees. I came in and I was looking for something to galvanize the whole community. And 
we had a conference and I went back to my hotel room. Imagine doing that at the moment. Going back to my <laughs> yeah. hotel room. Yeah. I went back to my room in the middle of the conference and and I saw news that Domino's were going to sponsor The Apprentice featuring Donald Trump. I had this idea, going back to ideas. I wonder if we could somehow disrupt those ads with Papa John's. So I talked to John Schneider, who was the founder, who was actually the chairman, and he thought it was a great idea. So, and again, here's an idea, here's an example of the challenge culture. So that night we had a dinner and I got up and I said to the franchisees, this is what's happening. Do you want to disrupt Domino's? And they all said, yes. Now, I quietly was hoping they'd get behind the idea because this was a way of getting everyone behind us. So they all cheered, yes. So here's the productivity. Within one week, a guy called Jordan Zimmerman, who is currently involved with Lake Orient, he's based in Florida, um, put together an ad. Uh, and and if you, if you go online, if you want to see it, look at Papa John's ad for The Apprentice. And what we basically have a picture of is John Schneider turning around and saying to the competition, you're fired. And what we did is we managed to load the ads locally right across the country. So it was a national offering, but delivered locally that completely disrupted The Apprentice. That was the change of fortune at Papa John's. And from that, we then got into a lot of work on the digital side, which is very important in pizza. Yep. So uh, I think you need these galvanizing moments. Yeah, I love, I love that story. It made me, made me smile when I read it. From a, an efficiency point of view, does that ever conflict with customer service? Have you seen it conflict or should it be complementary? No, I actually, think, I actually think it's very complementary. I'll tell you why. Life is complicated before the crisis. You know, we all have to get a lot done. And it's going to sound slightly self-serving, but one of the things that the guy who's now running Dunkin' US said is that I get more done in one day than anyone he knows. And, and I'm always shocked by what people fail to do. So a, a few little things. You have, you have a customer complaint. How do you deal with it? You have a, an employee who needs to be spoken to. Now, let me bring it up to date. In the current crisis, we've had people in hospital at Lake Orient, and I get asked to do a video. I get asked to phone someone up. And one of the things I found a long time ago is if you divide your day into 15-minute quadrants, it's amazing what you can get done. Uh -huh. and, and another very powerful book that I would really suggest people read is called Give and Take by Adam Bryant. Uh, again, it's mentioned in my book. Uh, and he basically divides the world into two, givers and takers. I've always tried, I probably haven't always achieved it, to be a giver. In other words, give out to people. I think during this moment of, of, of crisis, every day one of the things I do is I get up and think, who could I send a message to today because I haven't heard from them or I want to see how they're doing. Yeah. And, and, and I'm always shocked how I talk to people in organizations and they haven't got round to something. Well, they haven't got round to it mainly because they're disorganized. So I think productivity, and as you say in that question, efficiency is so important. And, and I really think these days when we've got every tool going, there's no reason for being phenomenally efficient and, and productive. 
And I contrast that to when I started 50 years ago. Everything I did, I had to write out and then hand to a secretary to get typed. <laughs> um, and I, I remember that they used to write it out, sorry, type it out, and it came in triplicate. And think how long that took to do. I mean, yeah. and these days, now I'm a very poor typer. And I, I've never learned to type. So I've got around to using my phone. I dictate things into my phone and I find Siri works very well. Doesn't stop my odd typo, but anyway, I, I find that is very productive. But these days you've got calendars, you don't have to go to a secretary, you can do everything online. I think we are probably, it's tough to say how many times, probably, I'm probably now 40 times as efficient as I was back in 1970. Amazing. Really appreciate you coming on. One final question we're asking everybody on the podcast is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? And you, you must have been given quite a lot and given quite a lot out over the years. Yeah, yeah that, no, that, that, that's, that's a good question. Okay. And there's quite a few, by the way, in the book. Yeah. Um, one of the things, and I think this goes back to creativity and ideas. I had a boss called Barry Gibbons who's written some really crazy books as well, by the way. And, and, and the one with the craziest title is, if you want to make God laugh, I'll say it in English now, laugh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> if you want to make God laugh, show him a business plan. And Barry had all kinds of weird phrases that I used to sometimes scratch my head about, but this one made sense. He, he, he would say, don't set up a tidy graveyard. And what he meant by that is going in straight lines everywhere. You've got to think, outside the line you've got to be a little bit more creative because if you deviate sometimes from the, the straight line you'll find out something that's really helpful and and every time he said that which was a lot and it, and it was usually an attack on some bureaucrat or, or or all the bureaucracy that lives in organizations and and by the way just an aside i sat on a puppet i'm a consultant at papa john's and i heard on a board meeting this week they did the financial close virtually now if you said to a finance group three months ago could you do that virtually by not being in the office i bet every finance organization in the whole world would have said no yeah i mean so this was a perfect illustration of how under circumstances we went away from that tidy graveyard i've never forgotten that and i actually it comes up at least once a week in my mind love that well thank you nigel appreciate your time i know you're a busy man appreciate you coming on and stay safe and take care and you thanks a lot son <laughs> <laughs>